Thousands of people flock to Yankee Stadium in the Bronx every baseball season to take in a game. Many, of course, will purchase something while there. A hot dog, a beer, a hat, perhaps. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. On today's show, we're looking at Yankee Stadium not from the fan perspective, but from the view of a vendor, and a longtime one at that. Stuart Zelly began vending at Yankee Stadium when he was just 15 years old, and he continued working there into his 50s. Zelly describes his experiences as a vendor in his new book, My Life in Yankee Stadium, 40 Years as a Vendor and Other Tales of Growing Up Somewhat Sane in the Bronx. Stuart, welcome to Cityscape. I'm glad to be here. So you're living in L.A. now, but you're a Bronx boy. Where in the Bronx did you grow up? Well, I was born near uh, Featherbed Lane, Shakespeare Avenue, over, I guess it's the West Bronx, Southwest Bronx. And it was just a good, hefty walk from there to Yankee Stadium. And then later on, I moved up near uh, Bedford Park Boulevard, near Dewitt Clinton High School, where I went for high school, and Lehman College, where I also went. What was the Bronx like during your childhood? Well, when you're a kid, you don't have the access to be able to drive around or whatever, so you stayed close to your neighborhood. And so by, by staying close to your neighborhood, you had to try to entertain yourself that way. And uh, we would play roller hockey, we'd play stickball, stoop ball, All the street games, you know, with chalk in the street. I mean, (laughs) I'm kind of aging myself there, but that's what we did. Did you play Scully? uh, Played Scully. Played Scully. In fact, we actually had our own Scully board. So we played even, I have three older sisters, and we played in our apartment. So we didn't have to go downstairs to the street and and draw a Scully board on on the street with chalk. But we had one already made in the house. And I would imagine you're also of the generation that knows the Spalding. Oh, indeed. The, Sp- the famous Spalding, yeah. That's a, a pink rubber ball that you would play punch ball, stoop ball, stick ball. It was the all-purpose ball. Another element in growing up in an apartment building in the Bronx, if you happen to be down in the street... And uh, the Mr. Softy truck came by, or Bungalow Bar, which was another one, or the Good Humor Man. I would yell up to my mother. We lived on the fourth floor, and I'd yell, "Hey, Mom, the ice cream guy's here!" And then, rather than her coming down to bring me a, a quarter or whatever, she would put it in a sock. She'd put some money in a sock huh. and maybe weigh it down a little bit and just toss it out the window. <laughs> that was that was life in the Bronx. How frequently would you go to Yankee games back then when you were a kid? Oh, I guess I would go to maybe half a dozen games a season. Back back then, you used to be able to get in with what was called a GO card. I don't know if you remember that. But no. That was, uh, yeah, general organization is what it stood for, I believe. And so if you showed that card, it was like, you know, a student rate. And we'd be able to get into the upper deck. The general admission seats were $1.50, and we'd get in for $0.50. Cents. Hmm. And so that was, that was great, to be able to uh, go see a baseball game for $0.50. Cents. My goodness. And then they also did things like um, with milk cartons. If you cut out 
10 or 12 milk cartons, uh, you know, like a coupon on the carton, then you could also get into a, a game. This was for the games that weren't the big sellers. It wasn't the Red Sox and it wasn't the better teams, but you got to see the Yankees. And so that's how I was able to do it. But eventually you would get in as a vendor and you were what, 15 years old when you became a vendor at Yankee Stadium? Yeah, I was 15. I actually, I bumped into my English teacher who was working at the stadium and I spotted him. I was shocked to see him because I just thought, you know, hey, he's a teacher. He's rich. He doesn't need another job. But truth be told, he did need another job. <laughs> and uh, he was moonlighting. And I said, hey, can you get me a job? And he helped me the next day. Actually, he was supposed to be 16. And he helped me to forge my working papers, and I was able to get in. And I started selling hot chocolate at New York Giant football games when the Giants played in Yankee Stadium. So your and, teacher uh, helped you to forge your working papers. How classic. 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 <laughs> There's a Bronx story for yeah, you. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Right. But he was a great guy. He was a great guy. Were many of the vendors as young as you were? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in, in fact, my dad used to work there back in the 30s. And uh, he told me that they would get kids from either local church parishes and they would get, I don't know if they were as young as 14, but they would be 15, 16. And then as they got a little bit older, the kids would go to school or they'd get a full-time job, and then they would have to replenish the employees and get some more kids. And then a few of them hung in there like I did. I was there for 40 years, and um, it just worked out because it turned out to be a really good second job. So what kept you at Yankee Stadium so long? 40 years as a vendor, that's a long time. Uh, that is a long time. <laughs> it is a long time. and uh, You must have loved it. I did. I loved it. And uh, there were a lot of advantages, to, aside from being at an exciting place, you know, I mean, at the, at the ballpark, I mean, people were glad to be there. The fans were glad to be there. It was exciting. We had good Yankee teams. And the job was a good physical job, kept me in shape while I did it. And, you know, relatively speaking, I made some decent money for a second job. And you only worked from a half an hour before the game started until roughly the seventh inning. It worked out for a lot of people who worked during the day. There were a lot of teachers that used it as a second job. And it was only when the Yankees were, of course, in town, when they were on the road, you were off for a week. So that also made it a bit more palatable to be able to uh, endure it. There appears that there is a lot of strategy involved when you are a vendor at Yankee Stadium, even in terms of where you are vending and when you are vending during a game. That's true. That's true. When it would really, really be hot, like triple-digit weather, water was the best product. Water was a good product when it was hot because you didn't need to get ID from anybody. If a four-year-old came up to you and said, can I have a bottle of water, you could sell them a bottle of water, as opposed to when I would sell beer, you have to ID the people. But people can't drink that much beer when it's 100 degrees and they're sitting in the sun. It's just, it just peaks out. So you would 
ideally, there were a lot of beer vendors, which who were the old timers, who would take water during those hot days. Now, the other thing was when it was really scorching hot like that, you didn't want to get into the sun directly because it was just too much. So if it was warm, you would try to be in the shade and sell water, and that proved to be a great product. And then sometimes, you know, hot chocolate, you would decide maybe uh, it, it was cooler in April and in September. There would be some cool nights. I mean, over the course of the time that I worked there, there were a few snow out days. Uh, I remember an opening day where the, the game was completely uh, postponed because of snow. Uh, now the game started in March. It's not even April. And so those days, rather than taking beer, which is typically the best seller, you might take hot chocolate because people were sitting there and they were <laughs> they were freezing. So that so, being uh, said, was it up to you to decide what you could sell, what you were going to sell on any given day during any given game? When you would come into the stadium, you'd fill out a card with your name, your social security number on it, and your ID number. And that was decided by your seniority. So the lower your number, the more seniority you had. When I left, I was number 15. So, for instance, if I came in and I put down on the back of my card, I would put my choices. So my first choice might be beer in field four, which would be right behind the Yankee dugout and uh, selling beer down there. And then I would do beer field 11, which would be on the third base side, would be my next choice. Then I might put my third choice somewhere else. And the guys that were ahead of me, they would get their choice. And then when the allotted slots were filled, then they would drop down to me and so on down the list. So if your number was 120, you had to put, you put a lot of choices because mm. invariably you didn't get your first few choices. How would you describe the camaraderie among the vendors at the stadium? Uh, well, it was generally good. You just were able to coexist. The protocol was that if I was walking up an aisle selling beer, uh, the unwritten rule was that another vendor with beer would not, should not walk up that aisle. Hmm. We kind of, because it wouldn't be good for business for both of us. You know, he'd take business from me and I'd be taking business from him. So he goes to another aisle. And, uh, and so in that regard, we sort of looked out for each other. And so this way, by the end of the day, we both made money. To get back to the question, we, we got along pretty well. It was, it was fun. I, I do miss those guys in the locker room and uh, just catching up on our own personal stuff. Yeah, I was going to ask, did you make any lifelong friends from this job as a vendor? I did, actually. Uh, quite a few, in fact. And uh, I'm, going to, I'm planning on going back to uh, the stadium in July, and I'll see a couple of them. And, um, and Are any of them fun. still there working? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and listen, they're, they're older now. You know, they're in their, uh, you know, late 50s, early 60s even. So they're not hustling the way they used to. We just really, you know, when I was younger, we'd be like shot out of the cannon and just go. For two and a half hours, we just tried to just keep moving. I talk about it in the book, how you just tried to save 
a few minutes whenever you could, because within that short period of time, you know, time was money. And now some of them just have a scorecard gate. When you walk in, uh, you'll see the old timers there, or they kind of shuffle along and they're just happy to get, sell a few trays of beer and hang out with the guys and then go home. But yeah, there are a few still left. Was your time span at the stadium only in the old stadium, or did you also work in the new stadium at all? I worked in the new stadium, I worked in the old stadium, and I worked in the very old stadium. (laughs) When I first started, I started in 1970, I worked in the original stadium, and then they, they renovated it, I think it was 74, 75, and the Yankees played out at Shea Stadium for two years, which was... Very strange. (laughs) They they didn't have a great team at the time, but it also, it was just kind of odd to see the Yankees as the home team in the Mets ballpark. Sure. But that's how it was for two years. I actually took off those two years. I ended up taking other jobs during the summer just to sort of, you know, keep busy. And then I was able, thankfully, I was able to get my seniority back. Anything feel different about working in the brand new stadium compared to the older stadium? Well, have you have you been to the new stadium? I have to say, admittedly, once. Once? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so let me toss it back to you. What was the feeling of the new stadium versus the old stadium? Could you tell a difference? Yeah, I, there was definitely a different feel. There's no question about that. Right, yeah. That's how it was. Because there was the old stadium, you were closer in to the uh, field itself. So... There was it was just more intimate. Now the new stadium is a little bit more commercial. You know, they in the, in the old stadium it started out and it was beer, peanuts, hot dogs, cracker jacks, and you came to the game and those were your choices as far as food. Now there is a Hard Rock Cafe. There is a steakhouse in the stadium. You can get. Really, uh, just a wide assortment of things. I don't know, sushi and meat sandwiches. And this, there's so many options. In the book, you describe how vendors during your time period accounted for the items that they sold. There was really a science to it, huh? Right, right. Like, for instance, with the hot dogs, came in packets of a dozen buns. So... They would make you the hot dogs. The hot dogs would be in a net, and they would dunk the net and boil the hot dogs. And there may or may not have been 36 hot dogs in the net. Sometimes there might have been one extra, or there might have been one too few. And they would then drop that net into a receptacle in your bin, and then you would get three packages of buns which were easily uh, accounted for because every one of those, you weren't missing a bun in those uh, packages. It was always a dozen. So you could get out into the stands and you may come back with an extra bun because the hot dogs were short. Or you may have two hot dogs and you could put two hot dogs in somebody's bun to try to get a tip from somebody. You know, if I saw somebody and they looked like they were really hungry or they said, hey, I can't wait to get one of these. I love these hot dogs, Charlie. And then I'd say, hey, you want an extra one? I'd give him an extra one, and maybe he'd throw me a dollar. <laughs> and so, and also, if you were out in the stands, let's say, 
And you, you would pick up your item from a station where everything was stacked and, and, um, and ordered and accounted for. And so you'd be walking around, and let's say you'd walk a little bit towards first base. And then as you start to come back towards your station, you may still have two or three bottles of beer in your bin. But rather than keep walking around to try to sell those two or three, you'd go back into the station, take another full case, 24 in fact, and then it would just be a bit of a heavier load for you when you get went back out. But it was worthwhile since you were close to the station. And mm-hmm. as I said earlier, you know, it's time is money. So. Yeah, yeah. You didn't have a strategy in order to bring in the dollars. Right, right. Yeah. And you were able to receive tips, as you mentioned. Tips were called, or maybe they are still called, a subway. Is that right? Subway, yeah. And I think it had to do with, with it back in the day, it was just a little bit of extra money to get the vendor on the subway to go home. So if you got a tip in the seats... Uh, somebody gave you a dollar or something, you're Subway, and it would just be a way of saying that, ding, you got a tip. And in fact, you were somewhat, I don't want to say required, but I'll say required, <laughs> to, to give a Subway to the guys that were helping you out in the station, the guy that set up your beer, the guy that dunked that net of hot dogs in the water. And then at the end of the night, after you checked out, he would be standing by the door and basically be looking for a subway from the vendors to help them get on the subway to get home. <laughs> you didn't only sell food items and drinks like beer and water. You also sold souvenirs, right? I did. What's I the did. difference? How was that different for you? Well, the main difference is that if you're selling souvenirs, you have to get to the ballpark really early like two, two and a half hours before the gates open so that you would go downstairs, get your cart, which had all of your souvenirs in it, locked up, go up to whatever spot you've been told to to work out of, and then set up. So you'd set up the the hats and set up the T-shirts and everything else, and that took a bit of time. And then you stayed all day, and you were kind of, attached to your souvenir stand. You couldn't roam the seats as the vendors do. You were sort of, you know, this was a little store in essence. And then, of course, after the game, you had to break it all down and put all those shirts and hats back into your little cart and then wheel it back downstairs. So it became a longer day. So as I said earlier, you know, like with the vendors, you'd work two and a half, three hours for a souvenir vendor. It would be more of an 8 to 10 and maybe even longer day. Was there anything different about serving food customers compared to working with the souvenir customers, would you say? Well, with the food, you know, the people in the stands, they want to watch the game. So they say, yeah, give me two beers. And boom, they throw the money at you sometimes. They, sometimes they don't even wait for the change. They just say, hey, let's go. Let's, let's get to our seats. And they're in a rush. People who come to the souvenir stand, it's sort of, I I sometimes felt like I was a bartender and I would listen to people's stories and they would tell sometimes some elaborate stories about when their father once had Mickey Mantle in his cab (laughs) or, uh, you know, some kind of stories. 
It was much more casual. They weren't in a rush. And I didn't get that out in the seats. You know, it was really, it was really quick action in the seats. I had fun in the seats, too. What were among the historic games during which you were working as a vendor that you got to witness firsthand? Well, there was a game, and I think the anniversary is coming up. It was Yogi Berra Day. Yogi Berra, if you remember, had had some differences with George Steinbrenner, and they didn't talk for, I think it was 10 or 12 years. And then eventually, George Steinbrenner, who was the owner of the Yankees, of course, he kind of buried the hatchet and invited Yogi to come to the stadium. And they gave him a tribute, and it was his day. And even Don Larson was there, who pitched the only perfect game in the World Series. And he was there for on Yogi's behalf. And it was a great, great day because Yogi, everybody loved Yogi. And then the game started, and David Cohn, uh, pitching for the Yankees, uh, on this day of all days, he pitched a perfect game. So that was, that was kind of incredible, that day. I remember a, a, a sad day when Thurman Munson had passed away. Mm, plane crash. And, uh, yeah, the plane crash. And that day, the Yankees, as a team, flew out to Ohio for the funeral. I don't know if it was the whole team, but it probably was. And then they came back, and they had a game that night, you know, a moment of silence. And I remember Lou Pinella in left field. His head was down. He was very close to Munson. And I love Thurman Munson. He was just a tough, gritty ball player. When I was in the Little League, I, play, I was a catcher, and I just related to Thurman Munson. And it really affected me. And it affected me so much that I couldn't work that night. I had to leave. I had to, uh, I had to go home. I, I went downstairs and I said, guys, I just can't do it. My, my heart wasn't in it. So that was, uh, that was quite a day for me. And then, of course, you know, I saw Chris Chambliss hit a big home run against the Kansas City Royals. He hit this home run into the bleachers, a, a walk-off home run, and the fans came on the field and he was unable to reach home plate. They were swarming all over hmm. the field. So later on, the umpires went into the locker room, and they got him to come out to touch home plate <laughs> after the field had been cleared. That was kind of amazing. I think that was 76. I think it was 76. I worked over 2,500 events wow. in Yankee Stadium. Wow. Not all baseball is- games either. You were there when the Pope was there. I was there when the Pope was there, Pope John Paul II. I was selling souvenirs, as I sometimes say, uh, hey, rosary beads here, rosary beads, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, that's what they gave me to sell. I was there, and that was amazing. Uh, 50,000 people, and you literally could hear a pin drop. It mm. was just incredible. I was there for a Muhammad Ali heavyweight fight against Ken Norton, which was also quite an event. I was there for uh, some concerts, U2, Paul McCartney. True, they were selling condoms during the U2 concert? Yes, yes, we were selling condoms. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) (laughs) You know, but uh, yeah, we were selling, you take condoms here, get your condoms. (laughs) So yeah, so I I was fortunate. I worked many, many old-timers games, which was always fun. 
many World Series games. I was there for the Yankees in the series in 76, 77, then later on, 96, 97, 98, 2000. I worked a lot of playoff games. Those were always exciting. Uh, as the games got into the World Series, there would be a lot more celebrities that would show up. You know, we call them the high rollers. And so I saw everybody, Jerry Seinfeld and uh, Jack Nicholson. Henry Kissinger, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my other job, aside from being a, a vendor, is an actor. And uh, I did a movie with Jack Nicholson, a film called Wolf, uh, some years ago. And I went to the opening night in New York City, and I saw Jack there. I had a few scenes with him in the film. I had a few pictures taken with him. And then the next day, Jack was at Yankee Stadium. Hmm. The Yanks were playing, and he used to come a lot. And uh, so I saw him there the very next day. So that happened, that happened a lot for me. I was on The Sopranos, and I played Tony Soprano's accountant, and then he was at the ballpark, and I huh. bumped into him there. And uh, Paul Simon, Dustin Hoffman, a, n- a number of celebs. So that was, that was another fun thing about working at the stadium, was to, to see these celebrities. And your uh, wife, you first met your wife when you were both vendors at the stadium, and then would later reunite, right? Well, she, she actually wasn't a vendor. She worked behind the stand. But she was selling. She sold uh, pretzels, sausages, uh, and then eventually she was the manager of a stand. She ran the stand. And then I spotted her uh, way back when. That was in the late 70s. And we became an item. And we were together for about uh, two years. And then we split up. And the crazy thing was that I hadn't seen her in 24 years and then out of the blue she called me she still had my number and she called me because i had a commercial that was running on television a big commercial that was very popular so she called me and she said she was coming to new york she had moved to miami and we got together and one thing led to another and now we're married Hmm. and that was crazy because uh 24 years we'd been apart and then here we were coming back together, and that was a connection. It was an odd connection between my life in Yankee Stadium, where I had met her, and my other career as an actor, yeah. because it, was, it prompted her to give me a call because she saw me on TV. Amazing, right? Unbelievable. Amazing. I know. I know. You had the chance to run around bases at Yankee Stadium at 3 o'clock in the morning right after the Yankees won the 96 championship. What was that like? And how I know. Did that happen? Isn't that amazing? I mean, that really is amazing. Uh, I, I had a souvenir stand. It was game six of the 96 series, the Yankees versus Atlanta. And they won the game, and they won the World Series that night in the Bronx. And so... When it's the last game, you have to turn in all of your stock. You know, that's the last day for inventory. So even though it was exciting that the Yankees won, I knew it was going to be a long night. And it was a long night. I had a friend helping me that night because it was so hectic. And I turned in all my stock at about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. And then as we were leaving to go to the parking lot to get his car, 
Uh, we were walking underneath the stands, and then there was a hallway, and I knew that it led to the Yankee dugout. Now, the place was empty. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. So I said to him, come on, let's go down the hallway. And so we go down the hallway, and the next thing you know, we're climbing the steps, and we're in the Yankee dugout. And there we were in an empty stadium sitting there where Joe Torre sat and Don Zimmer sat. And we thought, well, what the heck? And we went on the field. We ran around the bases just being as if we were seven years old. Hmm. And then eventually a few people started to come on the field. And these were uh, off-duty cops. Their job was done for the night. And they also were taking advantage of this moment. And they came on the field and they were horsing around and everybody was just kind of in a giddy mood, you know, dreaming about when they were nine years old and they could hit that last inning home run. And that was the feeling that we, we all had collectively. It was, just, it was just really a magical moment just to be on that field and especially that night when they were the champions. That was the most special night I had at the ball, but the only time I was ever on the field. Mm. And in the 40 years, that was truly a, a special evening. So many great moments packed into this book. It's called My Life in Yankee Stadium, 40 Years as a Vendor and Other Tales of Growing Up Somewhat Sane in the Bronx. Stuart, before we let you go, can you give us a beer here? A beer, cold beer. Stuart, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, George. It was great fun. Stewart's book is out now. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. And thank you so much for listening.